So, Janet, just one of the 10 deliveries that my uh, my wife orders from Amazon every day. Ooh. Uh, is one of them, perchance, ticket to the moon, the rise and fall of a European champion? One of the deliveries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. Uh- that is Ticket to the Moon, uh, £4.99 on Kindle. Dakubatan, very good publisher. How did you get with them? Yeah, they were, uh, they were a great independent publisher. There's, uh, we've got a mutual friend, uh, one of my journalist friends called Simon Hart, recommended them. He's got a couple of Everton, or an Everton book and an England book published with them. Obviously biased, but I think the cover of that book is one of the best football book covers I've seen. It's, it's a really nice uh, innovative image Dennis Mortimer and the Villa players celebrating with the European Cup but there's some really interesting colours they've used to get a striking cover on it You mentioned Simon Hart I'm familiar with his work at UEFA He, I think he still covers Manchester City so he may be going out to Portugal uh, next week uh, 39 years on from a famous day in Rotterdam what date was it the 82 final? It made the 26th. Uh, I'll take your word for it. I haven't written it down, but we're, yeah. we are... I thought you were testing me there. I believe it's May the 26th. I absolutely trust you. I remember the 31st of May was the date Watford were promoted to the Premier League for the first time. And I was at Wembley for that. But at that time, Aston Villa were streets ahead of Watford. Um, and they were the, the side that... What do I remember about Villa? Well, Dwight York was at Villa... Savo Milosevic was there in the 90s because uh, I yeah. grew up in the Premier League era. Um, okay. You missed them in the 84 final against Everton then? Yes, I'm afraid I did. And uh, although I do boo Andy Gray, I have a, a weird relationship with Andy Gray. His book was terrible. Uh, I sat and read it all in a, an airport departure lounge and he headed the ball out of Stevie Sherwood's hand. But he was a Villa, wasn't he, Andy Gray? Yeah, he had two spells at Villa. Mm-hmm. The first spell was a lot more successful than the second spell, but yeah, he's very well remembered by Villa fans. Is there any player more fondly remembered than Nigel Spink? Well, I would say Paul McGrath. Paul McGrath is known as God by uh, the Villa fans, and I certainly haven't seen a better player at Villa Park than Paul McGrath, which is nice actually that it's a defender because as you know so many goal scoring midfielders or strikers get a lot of the plaudits and kudos in football I mean the, the Ballon d'Or is the biggest example of that isn't it how Ronaldo and Messi win it every year even when they've had a quiet season they're still in the top three so for Paul McGrath to be known so universally as God and, and as one of the greatest at Villa it just shows you how, how good he was he seems to have been adopted by Villa. You'd expect Man United, for whom I think he does some ambassadorial work for, to claim him. But he was eased out of Manchester United through a combination of things that have been told in his memoir, Back from the Brink, which is in the football library. Tons of books by players pertaining to Villa. Um, but the one we're talking about, Ticket to the Moon, which is the great side which Ron Saunders put in place. What is the role of Tony Barton? Barton was the guy who managed the team in Rotterdam, but this was the team assembled by Ron Saunders. Uh, I don't know if there was a precedent, or indeed anything has happened since. Um, where a, was he the number two Barton who stepped up? 
Yes, that's right. Ron Saunders resigned before the quarter-final. But um, to be fair to Tony, you're quite right that Ron Saunders is, was his team. He'd been there for nine years and he'd built that team. But Tony Barton was a very modest, uh, intelligent scout who I wouldn't know how many exactly off the top of my head of those players he identified, but Tony Tony's opinion on a player was highly regarded by Ron and while he didn't sign them himself, he probably recommended a few of that 1982 team. Ah, so he's more than just a Peter Taylor figure. Well, he stood up, didn't he, as manager. I'm not sure if Peter Taylor ever did that at Forest, did he? Not he at Forest, Brighton, but not at Forest. And now, of course, in what was Tony Barton's role, is a former England captain. So we'll go back to 82, but the season Villa have just had under Dean Smith, who has managed to tell Tony Grealish's son, Jack, that he needs to buckle down and work. It's been a consolidation season in difficult circumstances for Aston Villa. Right manager, I can't see Dean Smith ever getting fired. Um, I guess it's all, uh, it's all on results, isn't it, ultimately? The fact that he's a, a Villa fan and so far his progress has been good or excellent, really, to get them promoted at the championship, which is an infamously difficult thing to do. He did that, um, managed to survive by the skin of our teeth last season. We've consolidated very well this year, probably. Well, not probably. It's definitely been a huge disappointment at the end of the season. Last three or four months have been terrible relegation forms since Jack Grealish was injured, really. I think we're probably in the bottom three of the former league table for about the last three months. So... I think he needs to start next season well. His signings over the summer are very important, particularly to show Jack Grealish how ambitious we are for the next two or three years, really. The magnitude of the signings aren't of, of what, you know, what they need to be in terms of showing your ambition. I think a lot of Villa fans would be realistic enough to know we'll probably see Jack leave, which would be horrible, really. He loves the club, as everyone knows, but one of the, got to be one of the best players in Europe, and I'm sure he'll show that at the Euros if his fitness keeps improving. Yeah, I wonder if, say, against Scotland, he'll start because obviously he's not. Would he be first choice in that? I suppose Mount would be ahead of him, Foden would be ahead of him, but as an impact sub, imagine being I don't know Spain or Germany and seeing Jack Grealish warming up with his ability to thread a through ball. And Dean Smith has been brilliant, giving him the captaincy, the fans are on his side, and it's that link with the 12th man that is so important at a club like Villa, because if it's not there, there is trouble. And I think in recent seasons, I won't mention his name or his name, but there's an American and someone from China. We're not going to mention them. Uh, But the ownership model now seems to be perfect. The money is Egyptian. Wes Edens and Christian Perslow are running it on the ground Next season, whom whom would you add to the squad? In what positions? Um, well, first of all, I need to disagree with you on Jack with the Euros. I think he has to start for me. Uh, I get what you're saying because because he's been up out of the side for a few months with injury. I think if he's fit, I don't see the point in putting him on the bench because we don't have anybody like that. Foden has clearly developed very well. I would play Foden, Grealish. And Mount, the three players you just mentioned, I think Mount can play a bit deeper. Um, I would have Grealish, Foden and Kane as my front three. Uh, I just think he did that well for England in those three games before Christmas. We shouldn't forget 
just how strong his impact was at that level. Um, but going back to your question in terms of who should Villa sign, Villa lack a lot of pace. I haven't seen much pace at Villa, not in terms of that explosive pace that like United had with Ryan Giggs back in the day and what Man City have with Foden now. But the guy I would like to see Villa sign is St. Maximum at Newcastle. Mm, I think yeah. he's got pace and he's got skill. I think he's at a club that's going nowhere. Newcastle fans would probably argue it's not a step up from Newcastle to Villa, but I actually think that with the owners we've got now, we're a lot more forward-thinking than Newcastle are. So, And I'm not sure that any of the big five or six would probably sign St Maximum, but I think he'd be a great, a great addition to Dean Smith's side, particularly with the formation he plays with one striker and two wide men. Hitting yeah. um, one, Tammy Abraham... He's getting mentioned a lot because he's obviously been yeah, sign him. pushed out. Of obviously, very close relationship with him for what he did for Villa in the championship and the promotion year. Uh, I think he's a, an obvious one to maybe make a bid for. I haven't actually seen Edouard at uh, Celtic, but he gets mentioned and his goal ratio is good. He'd be one I might look at. Yeah, all uh, very good. And can I recommend his Mylas Saar if you're looking for pace? Um, Saar has done Watford. very well. You'd probably want to keep hold of him, wouldn't you? Uh, well, sell him if someone throws 50 million quid at us because we've got a guy called Cucho Hernandez who's been farmed out for three or four years, Colombian, uh, and we'll play him yeah. as a kind of unknown quantity. But as long as we go to Villa Park and get a result, we've done that before and we can do it again. And of course, next season, uh, Villa will be marking the 40th anniversary of the team that you describe in your book ticket to the moon when you were writing this book at any point did you not have a big smile plastered all over your face probably not because it's just um like i said before about my journalism when you're into a project the smile over your face is more about like reflecting on an achievement and uh but when you're actually in the thick of a project you're so busy and engrossed in the detail that you don't always sit back and enjoy the moment of what the club achieved, like we can now. When you know, when doing this interview, um, even uh, the the Champions League final that's coming up between uh, Chelsea and Man City, people say, "Do you want to win?" And I, I love watching Man City play, but the selfish part of me wants Chelsea to win because that's one thing Villa will still always have over Man City: the fact we've won a European Cup and they haven't. So. Mm. You know, I have a bit of fun with stuff like that. You know, I think it's such a special thing winning a European Cup, and I can't think of a more romantic, unlikely winner in in the competition's history than Villa. They, nobody gave them a chance to beat a giant like Bayern Munich in the final. That's still something we're all very proud of now, forty years on. Yep, uh, the journey to Munich was Valor, Dynamo Berlin of East Germany, Dynamo Kiev of Ukraine, um, and Anderlecht, who were not a bad side themselves. Did the TV carry every game, or just highlights of some of them? Uh, I suppose it was the West Midlands side of World of Sport that aired it. Yeah, I mean, what I can remember, because I was only seven at the time, and I'm pretty sure only the final was live, and the other games would have been highlights. Um, clips on the central news or BBC Midlands news that was as much as we could get in those days you'd, you'd have it live on the radio mm-hmm. 
but uh, I'm pretty sure it was only the final that was live. And the final, by the way, if you go to UEFA.com, uh, they do have a two and a half minute highlight reel, which I watched. I did want to know, who is the guy who heads the ball off the line in the second half? Um, I can't remember that specific moment. I'm not sure. Oh. Um, I know for a fact... No, for a fact, Nigel Spink was busy most of that game. Though we we got battered really. Mm-hmm. It was such a good, such a good rear guard, um, resilient performance that we just gritted it out. Really, in fact, Gordon Cowens told a nice story in my book when um, he was, I think, he was scouting at one game and he, he bumped into the old Bayern Munich in Germany legendary midfielder Paul Breitner. We were probably going back. Uh, not that long actually, but it would be about 30 years after the final. And Gordon went up to Paul Brightner and said, do you remember me? And he said Brightner sort of looked at him. He could see him thinking. And then after about 10 seconds went, oh yes, I went to the German accent. He said, oh yes, you guys were lucky. So he remembered him. <laughs> but other than say his name, that's the only way he could remember the match was that Villa were lucky. I disagree. Apparently Gordon said, maybe, but we won with that one, and he kind of walked away, yep. so he had the uh, in, yeah, yes. final That's comment. it, the kids call that a mic drop. Villa played in white in the final. Why Was it because it clashed with um, Munich's shirts? The claret would have clashed. I'm pretty, sure they, I'm pretty sure they did a toss to see who had the choice of strips. Must have lost the toss to uh, play in their away kick. Claret of Villa would have been too much of a clash against the red of Munich. Mm-hmm. Can you please name the 11? It was Jimmy Rimmer in goal who did nine minutes before he went off with his neck injury to be replaced by Nigel Spink. Kenny Swain. Left-back was Gary Williams. Gary Williams had been sharing that left-back position with Colin Gibson for the previous two years, but he got the nod for the final. Uh, Two central defenders were Alan Evans and Ken McNaught. The midfield three was Gordon Cowens, Dennis Mortimer and Des Bremner. Two strikers were Gary Shaw and Peter Wirth, and we had Tony Morley out on the left wing. And that those are the 11. The commentator at the UEFA commentary called him Wythe, not with. Oh, really? Which is, it seems very odd. Uh, the goal came in off the post from three yards. Do you remember watching that goal go in? Well, I remember watching the, the clips many times. It's one of the uh, most successful goals off a shin that you will ever see, isn't it, really? It's sort of the way it bubbled in. It wasn't exactly a, a great finish, but it went into the goal, which is what strikers will always say. It doesn't matter how. It's, it's about you know the, the fact it went in. Yeah. So uh, the, the fact that that commentary from the final is still listed across the north stand there, it just shows you the magnitude of the moment. I'd better go. Um, this seems like the kind of dynasty that Ferguson or Paisley or Shankly built because seven of the players who played in that final, Rimmer, Swain, McNaught, Mortimer, Bremner, Cowens and Morley, were ever present when Villa won the first division title eighty eighty one. Living in Birmingham at the time, being six or seven, would you be Tony Morley Des Bremner in the playground, or were you a bit too young? No, um, my big hero at the time was Gary Shaw, actually. People used to say I was a little Gary Shaw because I had bright blonde hair. But funnily enough, my first Villa top, when I went to, actually when I had a number put on the back of it, 
I don't know the reason why, but for some reason, you would have thought that I would have had Gary Shaw's number eight put on, but it was number 11. So I don't know if my dad got that one wrong or not, but uh, I, I like Tony Morley as well. He's still one of the best wingers we've ever had down in the villa. So, um, you know, I won't split hairs between Morley and Shaw. They were mm. fantastic players. The team interests me looking at, the players individually. McNaught never capped for Scotland. Dennis Mortimer never capped for England. Trevor Morley didn't travel for the World Cup in 1982. Dennis Mortimer, the captain, the chap who lifted the trophy, he must have just been unlucky to be caught behind the Hoddles, the Robsons, the Wilkins. Gosh, who else? Centre midfield in the early 80s. Terry McDermott, Terry Trevor Brockie, Brian Robson. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of... Lot of really good midfielders around. I, I do think, though, Dennis was um, worthy of at least a handful of caps. I think he was a bit, uh, probably a victim of a biased kind of management. Someone like um, Graham Ricks got the call for uh, the World Cup over Tony Morley. I mean, Tony Morley didn't actually even go. He was in the, I think he was in the initial 26, but when it got whittled down to 22, Morley wasn't even in the squad and he'd been probably the best player in Europe that same year when he won the European Cup and then we go to the World Cup without Tony Morley just you know it was something not right about it really Gordon Cowan's silky quality midfield player not at that World Cup after being a European Cup winner a month earlier it was just um, very strange really I think Ron Greenwood a lot of his favourites like you say there was a lot of good players in the squad though it's in fact, I actually looked at that squad on Wikipedia when I was writing my book, and you think, well, who wouldn't you have taken to accommodate a few of those Villa players? And it is a difficult decision. Um, but, I mean, Ken McNaught, he should have been in the Scotland squad, possibly Des Bremner as well. But that Scotland squad was probably one of their strongest they've had in the last 50 years as well. Mm. Only Alan Evans was in there. So there was a lot of unlucky players from that Villa team, though, not to have had more international recognition. Kenny Swain was a really good flying uh, right-back who was also could defend, and he never got a cap. Kenny Swain and Dennis Mortimer actually sat on the bench for a Brazil international and never got on. They got close, but never actually got the cap. Whereas this summer, uh, the squad will be announced as we listen to this um, on Thursday... This goes out on Wednesday. We're expecting Tyrone Mings, who seems like a mensch. He seems like a really strong human being. Um, he might even start. Mings is, um, is a really good defender when he sticks to his limitations. I think occasionally he overdoes it and tries to come out of defence like Franz Beckenbauer or Bobby Moore, and that's when he gets into trouble. Didn't he it's duff something the other week? He does it every now and again. But mm. when he... Sticks to his limitations. I mean, that um, that season when we were promoted from the Championship, when he was on loan from Bournemouth, it was immense. And, and that's why we, we paid the big fee for him. And when he is a great leader, he's uh, very vocal. And when he sticks to what he does well, being almost, not, not to be um, demeaning, but he's a very, very good stopper. But when he overdoes it, coming out of defence that's when he gets into trouble in fact the guy who plays alongside him Esri Konza is terribly underrated he, he is easily good enough to be in that England squad this summer 
but I suspect he won't because he's been nowhere near it. I don't think he'll bring anybody in as a surprise at this stage. No. So sure, it will be Mings in the squad. Whether he'll start, I don't know. And that man who is picking the England squad, of course, formerly of Aston Villa. What was he like watching uh, Nord, Gareth Southgate, as a, a player in the 1990s at Villa? With McGrath? Was it McGrath and Southgate? Yeah, yeah. Um, Big Ron Atkinson used to have McGrath and Sean Teal. Then he sold Sean Teal and brought um, Gareth Southgate. So he then employed a back three with McGrath, Southgate and Hugo Ekihog. And as a back three, they were really solid. I think we came fourth one season. A lot of that was built on that back three of uh, Southgate, McGrath and Ekihog. They were wonderful defenders. But Southgate, I think in the end, just got a little bit frustrated that he won a League Cup in 96, but I think he wanted a bit more. I wouldn't say exactly bettered his career, though, when he left Villa. He was a bit disappointed he left, but he had four or five really good years there. He was a very good player. Gordon Cowans fascinates me. He moved to Bari in Italy the year of the Heisel ban. So, he, obviously, he wanted to continue his uh, attempts to get a European trophy. Did he learn Italian while he was out there? Was it like David Platt, where he fully became immersed in the culture? I believe he learned some Italian. I'm not sure if he's totally fluent, but um, the main reason he went out, really, because obviously with Bari, they, they were a struggling Italian club. They, they wasn't one of the powerhouses who were likely to play in Europe. But I think one of the, the biggest reasons he left was he saw all his mates from the 82 team getting sold and he just felt that um, the team and the club wasn't what he what, what it used to be and he felt that it was a good time to, just to go and get a change of, of an environment and he went across with Paul Ryder who was a good young striker at Villa at that stage who was supposed to be the replacement for Peter With, but in the end he, he went across as well with Sid Cowens. Born in County Durham, one of the many fine footballers from that part of the world for the book. Who did you most enjoy speaking to? Oh, there were so many good interviews, but you mentioned Gordon Cowens. Yes, we met at um, the Belfry, actually, because he doesn't live far from there. Probably had an hour or two in one of the um, lounges at Belfry chatting. It was a really good interview. Unfortunately, Gordon's got a few health problems now, so we wish him well with that. He's such a nice guy. But there were so many good interviews. I was very grateful the people who gave their time. I think of some of the the better ones, maybe Alan Evans. We, we met at, um, again, a golf course, actually. It's St. Marion, St. Marion or something like that, in uh, round by Plymouth, where he's, he's a driving instructor uh, around by that area. And we went and had dinner and a couple of drinks. In fact, his tea totally he taught me the, uh, the art of, what was it now, lime? Ginger, I think oh, it yeah. was. A very refreshing drink. I didn't feel comfortable having a bottle of lager when he was teetotal, so I shared a soft drink as well. Jolly good. Um, but Alan Evans was, was a fantastic interview. We, we had probably three or four hours together, actually, at that dinner, and his memories were really sharp and detailed and told not only about all the glory days, but interesting how it all broke up how he fell out with Billy McNeil in the relegation year and um, Andy Gray's interview as well. He kindly gave me a couple of hours from where he lives in Qatar and uh, 
he spoke about his two spells at the club as well. That was that was a really good interview, and he kindly contributed the forward to the book. So um, they were two of the better ones in there for sure. The season after the European Cup win, um, Villa defended until they got to the quarterfinals, where the um, I can't remember who won the '83 Champions Cup. Was it Real or was it Juventus? I think it was Hamburg, wasn't it? Oh, it could have been. Um, but that oh, Juventus really? team, Platini, Rossi, Boniek, that's a hell of a team. Uh, were Villa in with a shot in the quarterfinals or were they the underdogs? Well, they were in with a shot because uh, we lost 2-1 in the first leg at home. I was there, actually. So what would I be that? I was about nine, so eight or nine. I remember going to that game as, as a little anorak who used to collect all my Panini stickers in World Cup, you know, the Espanyol 82, and know how great that Italian team was. And then most of them are there at Villa Park playing in the stripes of Juventus. That was um, probably one of the, the biggest games I've ever been to, really. And I remember the uh, the goal from Paolo Rossi after something like 58 seconds. It was a bit of a shocking start, 1-0 down straight away. But we had a Fantastic equaliser from Gordon Cowens with a diving header. He was never really known for his goals with his head. But that was a good goal. And then uh, Boniak scored a bit. Of, I think it was a bit of a breakaway winner. So we went into the second leg. You could say we were in it at 2-1, but I, I, memory serves me right. I think we lost 3-0 at their place. And that was the point where it all started to unravel. Yeah. That was the end of uh, of the European Cup. We still won the, the Super Cup that year, though. And then for the last 40 years, up and down and up and down. Uh, but your support for the Villa has never wavered. No, it's... Um, you meet people now and again who, who swap clubs and all that kind of thing. I've never really understood that. And they'll say, oh, I've got a second team here and there. I've, I've never had a second team. I've got There's a lot of clubs I have a soft spot for. You know, I've only ever supported one club and that's the only the way it will ever be. I'm too partisan towards Villa, really. I get very passionate when I'm watching the games. I love the atmosphere of being at the ground. club's very close to my heart. Villa have got two more games this season at Tottenham, at managerless Tottenham, and then at home at Villa Park to European finalists Chelsea. Uh, 40 years ago, Villa were better than Chelsea. Since 1982, deadly Doug Ellis has come back and passed away and Chelsea have been ruled with Russian rubles for 20 years. Do you ever think it could have been Villa if Abramovich had bought a club like Villa or if you had a squillionaire buying Villa, you would be back in the top six rather than, uh, hang on, where are you in the table at the moment? 12th? Yeah. yeah, and you will finish uh, yeah, 13th minimum. No, I've never thought that. I've always just accepted the uh, the status quo. It's, there have been some um, very disappointing years, obviously that relegation that, that you spoke of. But leading up to that relegation, we were dreadful for two or three years, really, when we could have easily got relegated before that. It was almost under the years of Paul Lambert and... Alex McLeish they never really had much money to spend. Randy Lerner was looking to get out by that stage and they were very depressing years. I remember the David O'Leary. I can't remember if he had... I think he had two seasons there. He was always very um, downbeat about our prospects because he always wanted more money from Doug who wasn't 
really giving in too much because he was looking to sell at the time. So there's been a lot of down times, but um, you know, I have a lot of friends from clubs like West Bromwich Albion and Birmingham City and Coventry and I think Wolves. I'm probably over since I started watching the game in 1981. I've seen a lot of great times at Villa, really. So, yes, you could compare us to a Man United or a Man City or a Chelsea, and you know, look at all those great cups and uh, days they've had out. But I still think I've, I've been pretty fortunate as a Villa fan compared to most clubs in the country. Really, we've had we've had some really great successes and we're still known universally as a very big club we haven't always acted that way but I think we are again now we've got some good owners and uh, hopefully some good times ahead Amen to that Uh, there's a book called The Club where two journalists from the New York Times spoke to Randy Lerner who incredibly you know this sold Aston Villa on a loss how badly must that club have been run at that time? Uh, do you get to Stour Bridge or to Kidderminster when you can to watch football at non-league level? I don't, but I will be soon because um, I've just expanded my agency into football as well. So I will be starting to watch a lot more football at the, the lower league level, definitely. Who is on your team? Who are big star clients? I've only just set the company up, so there's none yet. But over the next 12 months, hopefully there will be a few. Ooh, well, if so, any of them have written a book, you know where to send them. That's right, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I've certainly been able to help them to uh, deal with the media. That's, that's one thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a knack to it. Dean Eldridge, whom we had in quite early on, has uh, worked with both Sven, Goran Eriksson, ex-Villa, Sven, and um, Emil Heskey, and Franny Ali as well he works with. So there's lots of footballers in the media some might say too many but the good ones are really well respected and as long as they can talk and talk sensibly um, so much the better so I, I hope you have good luck are you looking for a particular kind of client yes everybody wants the next Ronaldo and Messi but on a, most of us are realistic as well I don't think you can just look for one type of player I think you have to be a bit more versatile whether it's going to be player from another country you're looking to um, move to a club here or whether you're looking to find that next Stuart Pearce who was taken from non-league into the top level in uh, Coventry initially and then Nuts Forest you know I still like to think there's a lot of really good players in that non-league or leagues one and two who deserve to play at the highest standard so it's quite exciting to um, you know try and find these people I will follow that. Is it Big Star um, Creations as well? Big Star Soccer will be the, the football agency. Um, Big Star Rich is where to go on Twitter to get information about that. Ticket to the Moon is available through Decubatan Books. They've got a website, but it's also, if you want an electronic copy, £4.99. It's the rise and fall of Aston Villa, European champions. May the Villa be European champions again, Richard Sydenham. Let's hope so. Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library!